Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Check us out at thecorner3.net. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Here Come the Young Guns, our fourth episode. Had to take some time off, but we're back and we're at it and we're ready to get going on this lovely Wednesday morning if you're checking the show out on not now, it's not now iTunes anymore. You can check out the Quarter 3 Network on what's called Apple Podcast is the new app name. So, Quarter 3 Network where you get our excellent show every Friday. And, of course, us here come the Young Guns. This week it's 1992. It's the Diesel Draft. Tim Daniel here holding it down at, as always with my boy Ben Brown. Ben, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, my brother? What's going on? It's uh, I'm excited about this 92 draft. Uh, got one of my favorite players of all time in it, so... I'm excited to get going. Me too, man. I mean, this is an awesome, a fun draft. It's probably not as stacked as ones we've done in the previous episodes, obviously, because that's not fair to compare any draft to 84, 96, or 03 by any stretch. But let's go. Let's let's bring people back here, man. So 92, this is the Dream Team is in Oof. full effect. They're about to get ready to go play the summer games. Um, the yes. Bulls just won their second consecutive title, beating the Blazers, the infamous Jordan Shrug. And yes. Duke wins the national championship. Of course, this is the year of the infamous Christian Leitner shot in the Elite Eight. Do I have that round right in the Kentucky game? Absolutely. And yeah. boo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, 92 was a fun year for basketball. And here comes this 7-foot, 20-year-old man from Louisiana State University who moves like a guard and has the body of a giant and has this unbelievable ball handling skills, makes things happen, just owns the paint. We're talking, of course, about Shaquille O'Neal, who obviously becomes the number one pick in the draft to the Orlando Magic. Now, Ben, I was three at this time. Shaq Diesel. (laughs) Shaq Diesel was one of my first basketball memories. That Orlando Magic squad of him and Penny, of course. We all know how much I love Penny Hardaway. So if you Absolutely. listen to Corner 3 and you listen to me talk about Penny Hardaway, it's like a gush session. Um, but <laughs> Shaq Diesel comes out, man. I remember you know, uh, seeing a story where he actually didn't think he'd be the first pick because he thought Christian Leitner was actually better than him. Duke played LSU that year. Duke won. Leitner play, played Shaq in that game. Leitner, of course, gets the spot on the Dream Team, which I still think is a disgrace because Shaq could have helped that team yeah, that so was... much. Yeah, yeah. Not that they needed it. I agree. But that was, Shaq's, no. that was Shaq's only chance to play with Bird and Magic, and Christian Leitner took that from him. Christian Leitner did take that from him. And he also, I, like you said, I definitely think he would have helped that team because mm-hmm. he would have got quality minutes uh, with that team. Absolutely. So Shaq Diesel, man, what do you remember coming out of LSU? Because obviously it was, it was obvious he was the first pick in the draft the day he declared. Um, but what do, you, what do you remember watching him go out there and – uh, just how he stood out from the rest of the college basketball players in that year. Man, um, what I remember, a matter of, you know, I know you said you were three. I was actually in eighth grade. So I, I do remember I was 14 years old. I remember um, it being introduced to Shaq because we're, of course, in UK country. So LSU is in the SEC. So we got to see Shaq twice a year. Um, I just remember his physical presence. I just never remember seeing a guy that big be that skillful and do that many things around the paint to just dominate a game. So when they're when everybody's talking about, oh man, you know, this guy coming out and 
people, you know, if you remember, I mean, there's Alonzo Mourning, there's Christian Leitner, and everybody's kind of talking. But as you're watching Shaq, you can just see that he is just so dominant and powerful that once he gets the game down, there'll be nobody that can stop him. Um, his only, of course, downfall would be free throw shooting. And I believe that if he could could have hit 70% of his free throws, he'd probably be in the top five in scoring. But he was just a dominant force at LSU. Um, he should have been on the dream team. I agree with that. And uh, you couldn't go wrong picking Shaq. So he was dominant at LSU. And the weird thing about Shaq, too, is that Shaq, Stayed three years at LSU. Yeah. Like, he came out after his junior year, which, if it's ten years later, I don't think that happens. No. But he stayed until his junior year of college before he decided he was going to come out. Like, And, I I mean, his freshman and sophomore years at LSU, I mean, he, he was a pretty good player. So, I don't know. I think he had a lot of strong family influence where his, his – yeah. uh, Dad and his and his mom were like, "We want you to get your education," which is you know, which is good. Which uh, you know, usually a kid like Shaq's not thinking about a backup plan. I mean, he's he's going to be in the league for a while and be dominant. So, um, but yeah, that was the weird thing about Shaq was that he was a he was a three year player at LSU. So, um, a dominant force, a dominant player, and uh, he just, I mean, of course, his career speaks for itself. You know, that era is interesting because, like you mentioned, Shaq being a three-year guy at LSU. Um, Zoe stayed all four years at Georgetown, which we'll get to him, obviously, mm-hmm. here in a second. Um, Jimmy Jackson left as a junior from Ohio State. Like, mm-hmm. so that, that was the norm then. Um, you know, it was the next year when Jamal Mashburn left after his sophomore year that people were like, you can, you can do that? And, of course, two years later, Kevin Garnett goes straight from high school. And so it's like, right. man, that's weird. You know what I mean? So, like, that was kind of the norm at that mm-hmm. time frame uh, to see those three, four-year guys get drafted. I don't think – I think Buddy Heald might be the first person in, like, six years that was a four-year guy that was drafted in the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, yeah. I might, it, it, I, I think, yeah, I might be absolutely. right. I think I'm right there, actually. Yeah, it, I think so. I think, you know, Buddy Heald kind of uh, – he kind of shook things up when people – he stayed all four years. But I, I agree with you there. Um, and the thing I remember about that is that – and, and college basketball, of course, is great now. But, you know, when guys stay three or four years, it makes the product that much better. So you look at the universities that the top, uh, you know, six to eight guys came from, pretty good programs. I mean, LSU was decent back then. Of course, they could never mess with UK. I mean, that's just the luck of the draw. But then you had Georgetown that was dominant, which was the land of centers. Mm-hmm. And of course, Christian Leitner came from Duke. Ohio State's basketball program was just getting on the map when Jimmy Jackson was there because he was a force. And then you had five, uh, Fonzo Ellis, who, of course, hails from all mother Notre Dame. Yes, sir. So, <laughs> so I mean, they, you had, you got good guys coming from good programs and good coaches. Um, so it's, it's, uh, you can see the effect on those guys and where they're drafted and, how well they played in the league as compared to who they played for. So it is, uh, it's definitely a different era now than it was then, but I think that that was the norm for them to stay that three to four years and get, get the work that they needed. So Yeah, and I think that that was, you know, like I said, it was just a different time. Then AAU was big then, don't be wrong, but nowhere near what it is now. And, that, you know, where these one-and-done players are getting, like, recognized when they're 12 
Um, so yeah, you know, that, that, that was kind of the, the thing there that made that so interesting. I think one of the other cool mm-hmm. things about this draft too is, um, I think in every draft we've done, we've kind of had a mixture of like big man, big man, big man, guard, guard, guard. This is the first time we've had a big man, big man to really touch. I mean, we, I know we had Elijah and Bowie, but Bowie obviously, unfortunately, did not work out like we talked about in the '84 draft. But this is the right. first big man, big man draft. So that brings us to Alonzo Mourning, coming out of Georgetown, goes to Charlotte, and you know, again, I'm going off Hardball Classics on ESPN Classic, watching Georgetown games. <laughs> or so. But he was another guy that when he was on the court. He just looked better than everyone he was playing, of course, except for Shaq. Mm-hmm. And he just, you know, talk about a guy like, I think what always said to me about Young Zoe, and you, you saw it a little bit still even in his, like, later years in the NBA, especially everything he battled health-wise. Zoe's footwork was so good. Like, the way he could make himself get open mm-hmm. in the paint and get to the basket was, and just you get rebounds, and it was a really good shot blocker. Obviously, it wasn't just his size, it was his athleticism, it was his footwork to get in the middle of people. He played in a very good conference. Georgetown was a very good team with John Thompson at that time, obviously. Um, but Zoe, it seemed like to me, Ben, you know, just said that little less step than Shaq, and that's not an insult by any means. Oh, no, not at all. Um, the thing I remember about Alonzo Morning, and people always brought it up, like, he played this center position, and some people said he was only like six nine and a half, maybe six ten. So, you know, he played that center position where you used to see in you know seven foot guys, six eleven guys. Um, so he was shorter, a shorter version of the centers. However, his footwork was always immaculate. He was coached by a Hall of Fame coach in John Thompson, and he came from a course center university where you had you know. He's battling Matumbo, you know. He's he's there, you know. He's not there when Ewing's there, but he you're you're playing with the guy that's got to have a chance to coach Ewing, and those guys always had great footwork. And if you remember, they always were able to hit that eight to ten to twelve yeah. foot jump shot, whether it would be off the dribble, whether it would be off a pick, whether it would be a pop shot. They every one of those guys had that shot down pat. I mean, they all could hit that jump shot. And Alonzo Mourning was was very good about it as well. I mean, he could still he could do some amazing things with his footwork and being able to get to the shots that he could make. And, you know, and he had a you know, of course, he had a great Hall of Fame career, and and um, you know, the kidney ailments you know derailed him a little bit and cut his career a little bit short. But yeah, Zoe was Zoe was that prototypical hard nosed Georgetown center. And I always remember he played with like a chip on his shoulder. He was a tough individual, um, and he always was going to try to protect the rim as a defender. Yeah, and I, I think that's what always stood out to me about Zoe as well. Like you said, um, and he could shoot free throws. I'm like Shaq. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, by the way, just so we can make this clear, if you listen, if you listen to every show, we have a tracker of when we do these draft shows of players who play with LeBron James, <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal played with LeBron James. All right. Yes, he did. This is like Chris yes, Jericho's he list. <laughs> he just made the list. <laughs> yeah, he did. So, you know, obviously there's this big guys there as we go down the line. Let's talk about uh, – brace yourselves, guys. Let's uh, breathe, breathe, okay? Mm, mm, mm. Uh, let's talk about Christian Leitner, man. Mm. Mm, mm. Nothing made me happier to know that he did not turn out to be a star in the NBA. He had some good years. <laughs> 
<laughs> he had some good years. Don't get me wrong. And I'm not even a Kentucky fan like most people who like hate despise him. He was just a dick, right? You know, like, right? He was a really good ball player. He was fun to watch. He was impressive. Like his shot was amazing, and he had just this crazy way to win games in the clutch. I think ESPN 30 for 30s. I still hate Leitner is one of my favorite documentaries because it literally shows like he is the most clutch college shooter ever, maybe besides like hey, yeah. Jimmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. He was, and and as much as you, as much as you despise him because he was a jerk, and that guy, most clutch college player I think I've ever seen play. I agree. Just had a knack of hitting the big shot all the time, and I mean he just ripped people's hearts out, and that's that's why I guess of course everybody hates Leitner because I mean he would go into people's gyms. Or he'd play your favorite team, and you knew he was going to get the ball, and he was still going to make that shot that's going to make you cry that night. He always had that ability to do so. Yeah, because it's not just the Kentucky shot. It was the year before? Was it UConn? It was a yes, UConn. Yeah, and he hit that shot, and it's like Jesus, man. And then, I, uh, yeah. And, like, that Duke team was super good. Like, there's a lot of really good players on that team. But all people remember is Leitner. Like, Bobby Hurley was on that team. And Grant Hill was on that team. And Yes, he was. But it's Leitner. Yeah. And, like, we, yeah, all know, everybody... we all know Grant Hill was the one that had the NBA career out of those three. But we still talk about Leitner. Yes. I think that Leitner, his ability to hit good shot, big shots, and I think his ability – to be able to um, lead that team. Now, that team had a bunch of good players, like you said. And Bobby Hurley, I believe, was the floor general. Yeah. But Christian Leitner was the heart and soul of that team. I think Christian Leitner's ability, and he had that. And I think that's what bothered him. If you watch the the Fab Five, uh, 30 for 30, Mm-hmm. And you can hear those guys disdaining their voice for Christian Leitner. He's <laughs> arrogant. He's pompous. He's a jerk. He's this, but he always beat us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he just had. I mean, he always had that ability to, at that the big time moment to hit big time shots, and he also was always the guy that was never going to back down from anybody. So if, I don't care if I'm playing Chris Webber. I don't care if I'm playing Shaq. I don't care if I'm playing Alonzo Mourning. It doesn't matter who I'm playing. I'm going to hit the shot. I'm going to get 22 and 12 rebounds, and and, and my team's going to walk out a winner. I mean, the guy's got two. He got two NCAA rings. He's part of one of the winningest classes in Duke history. I mean, the guy was a winner, and he loved the moment, and he loved being the bad guy. He he kind of thrived. He still thrives on that. I mean, if you've ever – followed his Twitter or tweets. I mean, he still... Yeah, he does. You know, he still kind of pokes and prods at UK. I mean, you know, when the May kid hit the shot, he's the one that sent out a tweet about, <laughs> oh, that must sting, doesn't it, UK fans? Like, like he's still that guy. He but is. the thing I like about that is, though, is that he's always been that guy. Like, he's never been somebody that you've liked, and he's in, he has embraced that bad guy role on top of being a part of one of the greatest basketball teams of all time, the Dream Team. And he did have, a, oddly enough, a 13-year NBA career, which, yeah. I mean, that's that's not a bad that's not a bad way to go. Was he a 97 All-Star? Yes, he yeah, was. That's, yeah, that's right, 97 All-Star. I think he was in Atlanta at that time. 
Which he he had a little weird like bounce around for a little while where um mm-hmm. you know this this couple years in Minnesota, then they go draft Garnett and they're like nah Leitner's not not gonna stick here. <laughs> yeah, he's not gonna stick. And then Do you, you, what's that? Yeah, I mean if you look, I mean he he averaged almost thirteen points and seven rebounds a game. I mean, but he wasn't clutch. Like you said, he's a right, right. <laughs> But I mean, he you know he had that one All Star. Um, he was a ninety two ninety three All Rookie Team. I'm trying to see, let's see here, see who all he played for. Dude, how many like how many like Pan, Pan Am and Goodwill and FIBA games did he play in? Good God, twenty. <laughs> oh, at least Gosh. at least. Yeah, he yeah, was... he he played in a ton of them. And I feel like we're insulting Shaq and Alonzo Mourning by spending most of this show talking about Christian Leitner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but he's an intriguing guy, man. He I mean, is. If you think, I mean, he's so intriguing about not only just not only just his play at Duke, but like I said, the way he carried himself through his time at Duke. I mean, he did not he did not back down from a challenge. Like we said, he played some of the best guys to come out of that out of this draft. And he shined. Yeah, I mean, he, he shined. Never backed away from him. Never backed off of him. And he just shined. I mean, he just shined playing those guys. So, I know it's weird we're talking a lot about Christian Leitner, but, I mean, the the guy at Duke, his career at Duke is undeniable. So, he, I mean, um, yeah. He literally did not give a shit who was on the court against him. He, he, gave, no. he gave no shits. Not at all. Not at all. And he did, like I said, he never backed away. And he carried that mentality. And he made he made those dude guys believe they were going to win every game. And that's the way he carried himself. So, yes, yeah, so he was Minnesota, Atlanta, Detroit, Washington, and Miami. Wow. So here's the funny thing stretch. about that. Look at all those teams he played for. Mm-hmm. Look at... When he left those teams compared to when those teams get really good. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> like, I'm not saying it's him. All right. <laughs> he leaves Minnesota. Garnett comes in. They're in the playoffs in a couple years. He goes yes, to Atlanta. And Atlanta was not good at that time at all. Like, they had those ugly-ass jerseys. Remember the bird, like, across yes, the chest? Yes, the bird. They were so yes. bad. Oh, they are so yes. bad. He goes to Detroit. The year, I think the year after he leaves Detroit, they win the title. So it's like he just wow. had a way of like avoiding greatness in the league. Like everything he did for greatness in college ball, it was like it was taken away from him by the basketball gods and the pros. Like how we're gonna They're make like, up yeah. for it? So it's it's yeah, man. Like um, that's hilarious. So the other group here, uh, Jimmy Jackson, obviously you being uh, an Ohio State guy, like you said, Ohio State kind of coming up at this point. He was the perfect fit for the Dallas Mavericks at that time. Just you know, a guy mm-hmm. that. Just, just a knockdown shooter from anywhere on the court. He could was so athletic. Um, you know, honestly, one of my favorite basketball minds. He, you know, I'm a big Xavier fan. For most that most of our listeners know, and he actually does uh, some of the musky games for commentary because it's a for the Big East. And he's so fun to oh, hear wow. talk. Man, he's so fun to listen to talk to about basketball. Uh, he did not play with LeBron James, surprisingly, in his, in his 15 years. Did in the not league. play with LeBron James. No, he's got his number 22 retired at Ohio State. 
a number that was also, I mean, that was worn by some really good players there. Jimmy was just a fun mm-hmm. player who really had a great career. No all-star games, no, no like jaw dropping moves, but just, just a great shooter that had a place everywhere he played. Right. Yeah. I, Jimmy Jackson was solid, man. And I, like I said, I, Ohio state basketball, I don't follow as much, but that was the time when people started to notice them as a basketball team. So, um, Jimmy Jackson had a lot to do with that. Uh, he was a sweet shooter, um, won a lot of basketball games, could could put teams on his back at some point, and and score uh, buckets and bunches. Man, I mean, he was he was that kind of guy. I mean, he could do those things. He was a very special individual at Ohio State, and he had a good 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 pro career as well. I mean, fourteen fifteen years in the league, um, and he was able to do. Able to do some pretty good teams. I mean, at his third year in the league, you know, he averaged 25, 25 points a game. I mean, so he for Dallas, and I don't believe he, I can't believe he didn't make the All Star. Oh no, he got hurt, so he only played fifty one games. Yeah, but he was a he was a solid. He was a very solid NBA player, um, and and um, had a good solid career. Jimmy Jackson was tough, man. Yeah. And of course, we're going to talk Notre Dame basketball. Maybe the first great duo of that of this of the Mike Bray tent, not really era, but like the post Digger Phelps era, uh, Lafonso mm-hmm. Ellis and Troy Murphy. Probably the only two, probably the only two that matched them in Notre Dame la, lineage and basketball wise. Probably Pat Connaughton and Jaron Grant over the past few years. Um, right, Lafonso Ellis, who I remember loving, loving him in Denver. Him and Dikembe were such a great duo as a front court. Mm-hmm. Blocking shots, getting boards, outboxing everybody. He may not have played with LeBron James, but he did play with Christian Leitner in with Atlanta. So yes, got he got that going for him. Um, <laughs> this draft may not have like this. This draft may not have like you know the pomp and circumstance of the previous drafts we discussed, but they had a lot of solid players like that, and I loved Lafonso a lot. I did too. Lafonso Ellis was a he was a solid player. Um, I just remember he was really long. Yeah. I mean, he was a long individual, um, and he could get to spots on the floor and score and be effective. Um, I also remember him being a really good uh, four-post player defender. I mean, he, he would give people's fit because he was just so so long and athletic. So Fonzo Ellis, um, he, was a, he was a solid player. He was a solid player. Yeah, he was, man. And then after that, obviously, you have Tom Gugliotta, who is, like, lower-tier Christian Leitner. Ironically, made the 97 <laughs> All-Star team, too. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, he did. No way. So, when Leitner leaves the Timberwolves, they got Gugliotta. Yes, <laughs> like, they did. So Yes, they did. Lower-tier Christian. Gugliotta with, with Kevin Garnett. So, lower-tier Come. Gugliotta took, I mean, lower-tier Leitner took Leitner's spot. Yes, he did. <laughs> hey, why not? Why why have one when you could, or why have him when you could have Gugliotta and Garnett? So I mean, they pretty much gave you the same thing. I mean, as far as basketball wise, NBA wise, they gave you the same thing. Yeah. I mean, Leitner averaged, you know, Leitner averaged fourteen to fifteen. Gugliotta averaged thirteen. So I mean, you're only losing one point, and you get to bring in a Garnett to play that four position. So. I mean, it's it's a win-win for Minnesota. Yeah, and then going down the line here, talk about a few names. Uh, obviously, we'll, about, we'll you know, kind of review some names, guys that kind of had made a name for themselves in the league, but were never 
big time stars like we mentioned. Walt Williams, mm-hmm. Todd Days, Clarence Weatherspoon, Adam Keefe. And of course there's Big Shot Rob. We can't not talk about Big Shot Rod here. Oh my gosh, yes. But, because you remember, we're gonna talk about Latrell Sprewell here in a bit too. That that was a great college stand up at Alabama between Rob and Sprewell. They were you know, that was their forward duo. They were mm-hmm. they hit shots, they played defense. Alabama was a pretty good ball club at that time. I mean again they were. kind of that L- that LSU case of you're going against Kentucky, but they were still able to be able to go win some ball games. And mm-hmm. I just remember like you know, we're gonna talk about Big Shot Harab because this was um this was Houston and that was kinda of like that glue piece. Like if you remember, it was two years later, they, they won their back-to-back titles, and Big and Rob yeah. kind of went in. They got, you know, obviously they got Sam, uh, they got Sam Cassell and guys like that. But Ori going there with Elijah and guys like that really kind of stepped the Rockets' game up for sure. Yes, it did because he was that guy. He was that guy, like you said, he was a glue guy, and he also was a guy that was not afraid of the moment, kind of like that Christian Leitner. He would, that guy was not afraid to take the big shot, enjoyed taking the big shot, and was uh, and was able to hit big shots. I mean, that guy's pet, I mean, what's he have, seven championships? Six championships? Seven. Something like that? Yeah, he's got seven rings. I mean, he is just, that's just unbelievable, man. I mean, and he was able to get on good teams and provide them with that extra, I mean, the Lakers... He did it for the Spurs, did it for Houston. I mean, it's his ability to just do do the little things and be in the right spot at the right times makes him one of the greatest winners um, in the history of the game. I mean, seven rings speaks for itself. And I mean, he was able to get on some good teams. Of course, he was on some really good teams, but I mean, for <laughs> For a guy that averaged seven points and five total rebounds in his career, to walk away with seven rings <laughs> and also have the nickname Big Shot Bob. Right. I mean, you know, he was, it wasn't like he, you know, went out there and was averaging 22 or 23. I mean, I think the most he averaged, the most points he averaged in a season was 12. Yeah. He, uh, let's also look at this. Here's the amazing thing about Robert Ory's NBA career that, like, if you look at, like, some people don't really think of, but it's really, like, a good point to his career. This dude, listen to his coaches he's had in his NBA career. Rudy Tomjanovich, mm-hmm. Phil Jackson, and Greg Popovich. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. else can have that lineage of, like, and a resume to be like, I played for that guy, that guy, and that guy. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy to think about, and that that's funny you bring that up, because and this this may be almost a little bit off of, of topic, but they were talking about we were talking about that today, just how important how important uh, coach lineage and who you play for is, because that's where you learn your skills. That's how you learn the game. Yeah. So they were talking about that with LeBron. Like, think about. LeBron's coaches, like who he's had as coaches. Other than Spolstra, it's like, huh? I mean, none of his co- none of his coaches were ha- going to be Hall of Famers. I mean, you got Tyron Lue. I mean, I don't know if Tyron Lue will ever become a head, head co- or Hall of Fame head coach, but he was a rookie head coach. Blatt was a rookie head coach. Spolstra was a rookie head coach. 
And then you look at a guy like Robert Ory, who's had Hall of Famer Phil Jackson, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, going to be Hall of Famer uh, in Popovich, and Hall of Famer Tom Johnson. I mean, that says something about when you get to play for guys like that. I mean, you're gonna you are going to do the things the right way. Absolutely. You know, just like you know, just like with any other great player. I mean, yeah, it's nice that you're a great player, but you got to have a coach that's going to be able to show you, okay, when you do this and we set this screen, you need to be here and be able to move and do different things. So, uh, coaching is so is so huge, but it's an underrated factor in the NBA game. So, but Robert Ory had a great pedigree of coaches. He did, man. I think that really stands out for his career. A uh, couple names going down the line also here. Um, obviously, got to touch on Doug Christie, who, like, you talk about defensive-minded guards. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you could talk about one the way you talk about Doug Christie. I totally forgot he was right. drafted by the Sonics and never played for them. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, obviously, we all remember him for his Kings days and being part of that Kings line team that was filthy. With White Chocolate yes, and indeed. Bobby Jackson and Chris Webber and Vladi, mm-hmm. how good they were. I always love to think of him as his Raptor days when he was crushing it. He was second team all defense there for a bit. He was he's the mm-hmm. Raptors all time steals leader. Like Doug Christie was one of my favorite, uh, you know, small guards that went out there, and he would go out there and he would guard Kobe, he would guard Jordan, he would guard you know Jamal mm-hmm. Mashburn and guys like that. And he would hang with them. He might not have scored like they did, but he yeah. was able to he was able to disrupt them a bit. He was four times four times all defense. Um, the one thing I remember about Doug Christie is that he was one of those guys that he liked guarding the best player on the other team. Yep. So he w- he knew he wasn't going to score. He knew he wasn't. And he reminds me a lot of a guy in Memphis, Tony Allen, the same way. Tony Allen knows he's not a scorer. Tony Allen knows that he's a defender and his job and his job is to defend their best players so that their guys don't have to do that. And that's kind of what Doug Christie was. Instead of Jason Williams or whoever else he was playing with having to guard their best guy, he's like, look, I got him. I got him, and he's not going to score. And he did a really good job of that for a lot of years. To be four times All-NBA defense, I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Absolutely. Hubert Davis on the list, obviously, at 20. Um, obviously we know him for his North Carolina days. Um, mm-hmm. he was a really good coach. Also now an assistant there at North Carolina. So yeah, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Got to play with Michael Jordan. So got a little tenure there. Um, yes, he did. The lineage of the Barry family, John, who is an amazing, amazing commentator. Um, doing he a lot is. Of awesome things. He's done, had a, had, you know, had a solid 14 year career as a bench player. Did some, you know, uh, yeah, was part of that, part of that Kings team for a bit. Also forgot about that. He sure was. But he ben, was in Sacramento. We're going to have to talk about, you know, one of the greatest personalities in NBA history here, my man. We're going to talk about <laughs> Mr. Latrell Sprewell, the 13-year <laughs> NBA veteran, four-time All-Star, All-NBA first team in 94, 18.3 mm-hmm. points a game. Just a filthy scorer. Such such a good yes. two-way player, man. And such a fun two-way player. Uh, obviously, a personality for being quite a hothead. Had some very... Uh, just a little bit. Yeah, some pretty cool shoes known as Dada's. Had the spinners on them, if you recall. <laughs> he did. <laughs> um, he did have Dada's. Oh, my gosh. I've forgotten all about this. Let's man. talk about Trelly for a minute. 
Yes. Latrell Sprewell, man. I remember him in Alabama. Um, he was, I mean, he, I just remember him just being a ferocious player. I mean, he was the guy. I mean, he would attack the rim so hard, man. And he would just punish people under that. He also was a great NBA scorer. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people forget when he was with the with those Knicks teams, I mean, that guy could put the ball in the basket. Now, his Golden State days, he could too. But his Golden State days, he was more of a slasher. Um, and he did some things. Uh, his athletic ability just kind of took over because he was a very athletic guard. But with when he was with the Knicks, man, he could do he could do a lot of things well, and he did a lot of things well. He made those Knicks teams uh, he made those Knicks teams better in the, early, the late '90s and early 2000s when you had Allen Houston and and him, and uh, you kind of had the old guard kind of leaving out, but you had those young guys coming in. Larry Johnson, I believe, got ended up there. Yep. And they had a young nucleus of, of players there. And, and Latrell Spiro kind of led the charge there. Him and Allen Houston were, were really good backcourt there. And um, he's another guy that just had that attitude. And it sometimes went over the line. I mean, he was mm-hmm. I mean, he was known to choke a coach or two. But, <laughs> you know, as far as... It wasn't. As far as... Right. I mean, sometimes that happens, you know. You, sometimes it's going to be like that. But as far as athletic ability... And as far as ability to score the basketball and to be a tough-minded player and a two-way player, um, Latrell Sprewell, uh, that you know, late '90s, early 2000s was as, was as good as it came as far as as far as uh, small forwards and shooting guards. He was he was a very tough individual. Yeah, and even his Minnesota days when he was there playing with Garnett and, and Marbury and those guys, like he was pretty good there too. And it was a yes, really, was. really good veteran for them. He talked about how much he liked playing with Cassell and Garnett, and that team was. They said were like we're so tight, and they, you know they never mm-hmm. they never pulled off the big win or anything like that. But he was just a fun player there. So yes, he was going down the road here. We're now in the second round. Um, not a whole lot of names that really jump out. Uh, probably the biggest one as far as like NBA tenure is probably going to be PJ Brown, who was a very good defensive player, a real good role mm-hmm. player for a lot of teams. Um, most people seem to, like, I don't know if it's just me, because his heat days are his best days. I know that. Yes, I absolutely. Remember, I remember him more as a Charlotte Hornet than I do anything else, so I don't know why I do. <laughs> because, like, he was a bull. Like, I'm a big Bulls fan. He was a bull. And I remember him being a really good bench player on that Celtics team that won the title in 08 with the big three yes. and Rondo and crew. But... He was a guy that kind of was a really good veteran leader, kind of like how Champ is for the Cavaliers now with James Jones, where he would go in a locker room, and what he knew about the game and his IQ just made things better, and just a sick, right. sick defensive player, um, and you know, losing an attack's finest in P.J. Brown. Yeah, P.J. Brown, um, I, I actually, I know you said, I do remember him from his... Uh, his days with the Hornets, but of course his heat heat days were his best days. Um, but yeah, PJ Brown was a guy. He was another guy that um, was a he was more of like a Charles Oakley type, mm-hmm. where he was going to play good defense. He was going to be physical. He was going to beat up beat up your power forwards and centers, and he was going to get all kinds of rebounds. He is uh, he's one of those guys that he found his niche in the NBA. 
and wind up playing uh, a lot of years. And average, I mean, he averaged nine points and almost eight rebounds a game. So, I mean, to do that for what do you do that for seven different NBA teams? Yeah. So he was he was a he was a tough individual. But I definitely remember his Miami days. Um, I think he was at the end there with I don't know if he may he may have been before Shaq maybe. Um, he was. But he was I think his last days in Miami was ninety nine two thousand. Yeah, so he, Shaq was there. He just yeah he just missed Shaq, but he uh, but he did play with Alonzo Mourning, I believe. He did because he was there. On the, so he was part of that Charlotte New Orleans um, yes. transition. Yeah, So I mean he he uh, he was able to put a pretty good career together and play with some pretty good players and and do some things to be able to get himself an NBA championship ring in 2007 and 8. P.J. Brown was a tough player. And then, of course, the second, like I said, the rest of the second round is not jaw-dropping, but as far as undrafted players that really snuck under the radar in this draft, man, um, David Wesley was a guy that was in this, that was an undrafted guy in this class. Yes. Um, did not make the NBA in the 92 draft even. He didn't make the NBA. He entered there. there. He played for a small pro, semi-pro team. And then once mm-hmm. got to the Nets there in '93, um, just another role player, you know. Actually, ironically mm-hmm. enough, played on the Charlotte New Orleans teams with PJ Brown. He did, yeah, absolutely. So, um, had a good run with the Celtics. And oh, by the way, Ben, did you know in 2006 to 2007 he played with the Cleveland Cavaliers? Which you know what that means? He did play with LeBron. He did, he did play for LeBron James. He played with LeBron James. He- he made the list. <laughs> <laughs> we need like a LeBron counter. Like, did you play with LeBron? Yeah. Like, I'm gonna go back and listen yes. to all of our episodes and count how many times we make reference to that. And just like, every oh, yeah. every draft we do, just add guys to the list and just add names. So. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but like, Wesley uh, could score, man. He was like a 12 and a half points a game guy in his NBA tenure. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't play in all-star games. He's co- he uh, did a little D-League t- uh, coaching time. Now is the voice for the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, which is... Wow. Yeah, so he's doing the Fox Sports games. Okay. He was a cool dude, man. That's he was, awesome. He was a yeah. good role player, made things happen in the league. Um, another guy, like we mentioned, like he was one of those niche guys where he found his niche and just found a sticking point. Yep, absolutely. Another guy that was on this list, actually his second rounder, which is from hails from uh, Murray State, Kentucky, Ooh. by the name of Popeye Jones. He did. Popeye Jones was another one that snuck on there, um, second round, and he's a guy that was was one of those guys that was uh, was a solid NBA uh, NBA player for eleven years out of Murray State. Popeye Jones. I, that was one I did not know he was. I did not know he was on that list. Yeah, man. But he uh, he played he played uh, eleven years, man. That's that is crazy. Yeah, now but he's, he was uh, a solid player, man. Now he's on Nate McMillan's staff in Indiana. Mm-hmm. As they're losing to the Cavaliers at the time of recording this podcast. <laughs> uh huh. They got that LeBron James uh-huh. guy, though. You know. Yeah, he's, he's played with everybody. He's pretty. Yeah, he's played with everybody. He's pretty good. He is. So, the daggum guy. <laughs> all right, so if I remember correctly, when we did the 03 draft, you got the first pick, right? I did. I did. Okay. And you get you get the first one. All right, so which, this, which is going to be very easy. 
So if you're catching our show for the first time, what would Ben and I do at the end of every show after we break down the draft is we take a few minutes to repick the top ten in this draft. Now this one might be a little bit more challenging because there's not as many jaw-dropping names as there are in the previous ones we've done, but... I'm going to start here with the Orlando Magic, and I'm going to make the obvious pick of I'm going to take Mr. Shaquille O'Neal. So I'm going to keep it as is, Shaq being the most dominant player of the 90s. Uh, the next year they get a guy by the name of Penny Hardaway who I don't even like much at all. I think he's okay. <laughs> and um, they do this Blue Chips movie together that's pretty good. It's not good. I'm lying to you. And then yeah. – um, we get, but that's, that's the diesel. It's definitely the diesel, and it'll forever be the diesel. The only thing I regret about Shaq is that he did not play another couple years in Orlando because I think that in 99, that was their window, baby, before Penny got hurt. That sure was. All right, round pick two, Charlotte Hornets. I wonder who you're going with here. Yeah, I've, I've got to. I've got to stay with my man, Zoe, man. Zoe had a great career. Like I said, it was cut short by his little kidney ailment. Um, but, man, that guy was a force defensively. Like I said, typical Georgetown center, could play great defense, great footwork. Um, and he always had that, that jump shot that from 12 to 16 feet out was a great, I mean, was a great weapon and could score the basketball. So Alonzo Morning for sure would be my second pick. I still think it's great. And it's awesome that for Shaq and Lozo having that rivalry in 06 in Miami, they were able to win a title together. I always think that's a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. And Zo, you know, for Zo to, I guess, I don't even know if it's really humble himself because he was kind of, he wasn't the dominant player that he had been earlier at that time. But for him to, uh, for him to kind of take that lesser role coming off the kidney ailment um, and Shaq is there. And of course Shaq was the most dominant player that season, not in the playoffs, of course, which we had talked about that before. D Wade was the best player on the planet. Yeah, he was in those couple games. So, but, but, um, but yeah, for him to be able to get that ring with Shaq, um, and when the, like you said, they had had not really tension, but the rivalry, and Shaq had put him on some rap songs that nobody ever listened to, um, <laughs> and a few posters. You know, so. And a few posters, um, but for them too, like you said, that's that's really cool. Those two are able to get back together and, and play and win that ring. So, yeah, for sure, man. So I guess that puts me at three, and I guess we'll just keep it going as is. This is the first time we've picked the top three as is. So I'm gonna stay with Leitner. Yeah, um, I think that you know it makes the most sense because we're still looking at coming out of Duke as the most clutch college player ever. Uh, just hit the shot. They just won the title. Um, Still has a lot of promise, a lot of athleticism for a tall white guy that we saw not many people yes. have at that time. So I will stick there um, without much more explanation besides Leitner was just an okay NBA player. Don't at me. Right? Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> so we are, we're at four and, and – uh, The Mavericks. Yeah, the Mavericks. I've, I've – uh, man, I've got to stay with Jimmy Jackson, man. He, it's fair. He did some really – yeah, he did some really good things there. Um, he was an all-star there. I mean, he he did some really, really good things. So, so yeah, I, I like Jimmy Jackson there. Tough individual, tough player. Yeah, so, so the top five at least are going to stay the same because I'm going to stick with Lafonso here because Lafonso Ellis plus Dikembe Mutombo equals boards, baby. Nothing but boards. Absolutely. And you got to think at this time, Robert Pack is the point guard there, so they're running that, you know, 
a really good offense with those two on the bo- on the boxes and Robert Pack being stupid athletic and fast and being able to dunk for being six foot tall and all that. Yes. So I, I like keeping Lafonso there. That's a, yeah, that's a great that's a great pick. You're the I, bullets. Yeah, keep him there. I am the bullets. Um, I, I'm sorry, Mr. Gugliotta. Uh, I know you're probably listening at home. You're going to be really upset with me. Um, but I've got to go with my man, Big Shot Bob, Ooh. Robert Ory. Okay. I think we put him there in Washington. Um, he plays a little bit bigger role. Um, if Gugliotta could get, you know, which I like Tom Gugliotta, don't get me wrong. He was a great player, but I think that, I think if you put a Robert Ory there, um, he, he has a little bit more success. I think, you know, Robert Ory's thing is that he went to a team, you know, he went to a team at Houston that had stars. Yeah. So when you have stars, you don't have to be the star. You can just be a role player and, and, uh, and do your thing, come in here. Hit crazy big shots. But if he's a Washington, I mean, he could be a 16, 17 point a game scorer. Um, and now I don't know if it'll do him any good because then he has to be kind of not really the man, but bigger roles than what he was used to going into Houston. So, um, but I like, I like big shot Bob there. I think that he could have, could have done some really good things there as the Bullets. Yeah, I, I, I like that pick. I think it's a good pick. So, at seven with the Kings, I'm going to take Latrell Sprewell there, honestly. Um, I think that everything we mentioned, four-time first-team All-NBA, his amazing shooting ability, the Kings needed scoring so bad at this time. Yes, they did. Oh, man. And, and, you know, that's no disrespect to Walt Williams because Walt Williams, you know, did his thing for about 11 years. Um, mm-hmm. Made some runs there. Very good All-ACC player at Maryland. But Latrell was just... Latrell was the diamond in the rough of this draft. He was the guy that someone got and went, damn, I hit the lottery because I got this yes. guy. Absolutely, yeah. You um, you couldn't go wrong with Latrell Sprewell. Like we talked about already, he was a great all-around player. Um, he was an emotional leader, sometimes an emotional mess. However, but he still was able to score the basketball. He was crazy athletic. And he gives you a guy... Um, in that lineup that's fearless. So, I mean, I think that that would be a great pick there. Like you said, no disrespect to Walt Williams. Yeah, not at all. It's just I thought Sprewell was just fantastic, and he's one of my favorite NBA players. So Absolutely. That brings you to the Bucks, who originally took Todd Day. Now, again, we got to say this in hindsight, Todd Day did his thing in the mm-hmm. league for a good nine years riding benches. Mm-hmm. Um, may not have been a star, was a very good LSEC player at Arkansas with Nolan Richardson. He but, was, but was an NBA star, so. Yeah, Todd Day uh, never never really never really quite panned out. Um, a guy that I would like to put there um, be a Duck Christie. I thought that was what you were going to do because I was going to say that would be my pick. Yeah, Doug Christie would fit would fit there well. Yeah, I'm with you. I like I like him. I I 100 percent agree. I, I I think Christie at that time Milwaukee would have been so mm-hmm. good because Stacy Ogman's still there. Still there, yep. And um, you know that could have made some things happen and been a really absolutely nice there. Uh, Philly at nine's a little tough, um, you know, because at this point we now have those the guys mentioned off the board. I think I will stick. 
with with Cleespoon? Yeah. Actually, no. We didn't put Gugliata. So I'll take Gugliata there. I think, okay. Yeah. Barkley is now going to, Phil, to Phoenix. So yes, we, he is. We know that Philly needs a power forward. Um, and Gugliato could have, you know, been right place, right time there, gone in, played immediately. Uh, you know, this first three years he had in the Bullets, we we obviously know they're going to go get Chris Webber in the ne- in the near future when he comes out after his one year at Golden State. So I'll put Googly in Philly and enjoy a couple years before Allen Iverson comes into town. Nice. That's a good pick. Yeah. So we're at 10. The Atlanta Hawks. Adam Keefe. Hmm. No, res- no disrespect to Mr. Keefe. Nope. You know. But, um, gosh dang. It's a hard pick, man. Uh, that is a hard pick. Um, I think I would go, I think I would go, I'm I'm up in the air with two guys. So I think I, what I would do is I would go P.J. Brown there. I was going to say that. Yeah, I'd go P.J. Brown there. I think that, uh, I think that his physical nature of play um, in Atlanta, um, I think that he would do a good job there at 10. P.J. Brown would be my pick. Uh, he'd have a lot of good years there. Awesome. Yeah, I like it. All right, man. So that's going to wrap up this week's edition of Here Come the Young Guns, where you can check us out every Wednesday on the Corner 3 Network on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you're hearing from us in the Corner 3 every Friday where I do my thing with Alex and Sean, be sure to give us that review, that five stars. It helps us out a ton. It means the world to us. So everyone tunes in is continuing to give us listens on this. Um, so we're, we're loving it. So, Ben, I have picked the first four episodes we've done, the years we've done. I'm going to leave this one up to you and we'll see what you want to do. What are you feeling? Oh, gosh. Gosh, I'd have to look. Let, let's see here. I'm going to scroll through my handy-dandy Rolodex here. And I am going to pick, since we have gone 92-2003, let's look at the draft. Let's go a little recent. Let's go... Let's go 2012. Ooh, the Anthony Davis draft. Yes. I'm let's, in. Let's get a little recent here. Let's let's do the Anthony Davis draft. I'm, I'm I want to go through that and see if we've since these guys are 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 still playing, mm-hmm. um, and we get to see most of them play uh, here in the playoffs. Or if there's a couple guys in that draft that we would move around and switch and put in different spots. I can and already plus think of two, one. Guys that you remember. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. No <laughs> doubt about it. That Lillard guy. So, yeah, that Lillard guy. He He's turned out to be pretty good. So, but yeah, let's get, let's, uh, let's get a little recent with 2012. That sounds good to me, man. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up this week. Like we said, check out Here Come the Young Guns where everybody plays with LeBron James. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Corner 3 Podcast, weekly tales of the NBA's hardwood from the suburbs of Cincinnati. Be sure to add us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our brand new website at thecorner3.net.